0: Good morning, church. Good morning. Uh, today we're in Revelations uh, 3, verses 7 through 13. And to, the late, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, and who opens, and no one will shut, who shuts, and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, And yet you have kept my word and not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan to say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will turn, I will make them come and bow down before your feet. And they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about my my patient endurance, I will keep you from the final hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have, so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar of the temple of my God. Never shall he go of it, Go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the New Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my new name. He has an ear. Let him hear what the Spirit has to say to the churches. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for letting us gather here today. Thank you for giving us your word as truth. Please be with Lance as he brings us your word this morning. I pray that we may see the doors that you have opened for us. May may we rely not on our strength, but yours, and may we remain faithful. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts to believe. Amen.
1: Amen. Thank you, Krupalos. Appreciate you guys very much for reading and praying, setting the tone for us on this day in Lent. Well, we continue on. If you uh, did not open up your Bible or click through your app, uh, please do so. We are going to be in Revelation, of course, but we'll be going uh, different places. Um, For every scripture except what's in Revelation, it will be on the screen. For what's in Revelation, we intentionally don't put that on the screen so as to help train you and remind you where things are in the Bible. If you don't know where Revelation is, go to the beginning and then go to the end. It's at the end. I was just kidding. It's at the end. Um, We are uh, in Lent. We are in a journey of Lent. And so if you don't know what Lent is, it is this beautiful 40-day journey with Jesus where we follow him out into the desert where he is two things, right? This will come back into our sermon hopefully later on. But he's two things. He's led by the Spirit, and he is tempted by the devil. Yes, both usually happen simultaneously, and so as we follow him into the desert, this year we're going through these seven churches in Revelation, and this is the sixth of seven churches. Next week will be Laodicea uh, on Palm Sunday, and you have this lukewarm church along with the lukewarm people with Palm Sunday. And so it's a really beautiful juxtaposition that we'll unpack next week. But for now, let me catch you up for anybody that's been at the rodeo uh, or just hadn't been around for a little bit. Oh, somebody took offense over here in the first row. Uh, <clears throat> it's all right. Not the first or the last time I'll offend my mom, but it's okay. Um, all right. Uh, so, so far, we've talked about Ephesus, right? The church at Ephesus was Ash Wednesday, where they lost their first love. And so this invitation, and really a command from Jesus, was for them to return. And then we had Smyrna, which is one of two churches that Jesus didn't have any correction for, and he says, you are a, fa- you are a faithful church under pressure and persecution, and so continue to prepare The things are going to get worse for you, Smyrna. And then Pergamum, which was this compromised church. And it was really part one of of two with Pergamum and Thyatira of the tolerant church, where he's calling them to return, repent, hold fast to the truth. Last week, Brother Pastor Elder Kobe unpacked the church at Sardis, right, where where it was a dead church, and the call was for them to wake up. And today, we have the second of two churches where there is no correction for the church at Philadelphia. The church at Philadelphia, I'm saying, is what, is, uh, what I'm calling is the secure church. Now, it would be easy for me to go into the brotherly love part of, church, of the church at Philadelphia. There is a backstory of basically these rulers in history that they thought um, brother number one had died in battle, and so brother number two took the throne. Turns out brother number one didn't die in battle, and so he came back for his throne. And in those days, when that kind of thing happened, somebody's going to die. But that's not what happened in Philadelphia. Brother number two stepped off of the throne that was not his, relinquished it back to brother number one, and therefore you have this city of brotherly love because they loved one another. So we could go down the road of brotherly love in regards to a, uh, a historical uh, title for the church, but Jesus has something more significant even than brotherly love to tell them and therefore for us, and that is they are the secure church. As I think about what a secure church looks like, I want to invite you into what I see. And I want to invite you to examine what you see. What do you see when you look at culture and how they secure or deny relationships? Uh, When you look around at your friendships, when you look around at maybe your non-Christian friends, what do you see in culture? When I browse through my news app, which is a news app, It's called a news app. And I see all the flood of the news app that comes in. Most of it, many of it, uh, many of the stories is like, this person went viral for this. And oh, look at this over there. Their reaction was insane. And then you click on the video and it was like, their reaction was like, oh, there's like this over, this over uh, explanation of something very simple, but also what is things going viral these days? Everything apparently goes viral, but teenagers, teachers, pastors, and influencers, and by the way, <clears throat> there is a difference between a pastor and an influencer. We should go to the Bible for that, uh, but pastors and influencers are all trying, I think, to get noticed. Everyone's trying to be seen. Everyone posts, Everyone's trying to get viral, everyone's trying to get their followers, whether you're starting a business or a church, or you're just out on vacation, you want other people to see what you're doing because you want their blessing. You want to be seen, you want to be known, you want to be seen as significant. And so we have a culture that is basing its security on the likes, followers, and approval of other insecure posters. That's a dangerous road, my friends. Now, I know that you all have been off of social media during Lent. I know that you guys are not participating in social media, as we've asked the church to do. Uh, Many people, that are like, yeah, I don't have social media, so super easy for me. Uh, But there are many others that I know that we're all off, I'm sure. But nonetheless, social media is just this little view into what's in our hearts and in our souls, And so I'm compelled to ask you, where do you find your security? Where are you finding your significance? Where are you finding your self-worth? There's a great book by uh, Robert McGee called The Search for Significance, and he outlines this in the intro, and he says, this is uh, the the cultural fuel that we're burning up, right? Satan's lies equals our self-worth or our significance, our security our self-worth is equal to our performance plus others approval my self-worth my significance my security which i should be finding in jesus actually equals to my performance how well i'm doing in life or how well i think i'm doing in life and then i post it online and then i get the approval of others, and if I don't have the approval of others, or if I'm not doing X, Y, or Z that's culturally cool, then I don't have self-worth, significance, and security. It's true. It is a lie from Satan. But our significance and our security for the Philadelphians, they're going to remind us, must be found in Jesus. This is the heart of worship, basing our self-worth, significance, and security on our performance and others opinions and if we do that we will worship achievement and approval instead of the king of both philadelphia did neither they were one of the two churches along with smyrna who never were never corrected but only commended for their deep faith amidst great trial Their security was not on the approval of man it was not in finding significance in their city or in great achievements as a church but in their steady faithfulness unto the Lord. Recently I was in a uh, cohort with other pastors, and we were kicking around what, what, what it takes, and why is it so difficult that we see so many pastors falling, especially over the last five or ten years. And it's a difficult thing to watch, especially some of uh, my own colleagues, much uh, m- further down the continuum of spiritual maturity, and yet they fall or they leave ministry for one reason or another, I can tell you that in our search for other pastors, they've been taken out of ministry for a particular time because they're just burnt out. Great pastors on the sidelines of ministry for one reason or another. We are, and as we kicked it around in that cohort, what we determined was that pastors are taught to start really well, but they're not taught how to finish. They're not taught how to sustain 30 and 40 years of Sunday's coming. And although there's a lot of hope to that, that when a pastor hears it on a Wednesday or a Thursday that Sunday's coming, a little panic comes out. A little panic sets in. It's on the way. And the grind is on. But I wonder, if pastors are not taught to finish well, how about you? How about you? So let's look at the church at Philadelphia so that we can start to understand if they were one of two churches that were commended, how then can we be commended in our long, steady obedience to Jesus over however long the Lord gives us on the earth? Well, I think first and foremost, we have to identify our temptation on where we find our significance, where we find our security, and the temptation is in the here and now, Um, There are about four ways that the church in Philadelphia was tempted to find their security in places and in people other than Jesus. The first and foremost is that in nature. Like I don't know where you are with nature, but I had a friend in seminary and in college that went to Hawaii and went to Indonesia and went to all these places looking for rest in the right environment. And you go, well, that doesn't uh, appeal to me at all. Oh, really? How many times have you been on an HAR lately as the spring rolls around? Sure we do. We try to find significance and and peace in a place and in nature or maybe out in the woods or uh, wherever it may be. And for the church at Philadelphia, it was in their natural location that they could have found some security, but the natural location actually prevented them from doing so church of Philadelphia was located on the edge of an active volcano and as such experienced the threat of big bad earthquakes on a regular basis. As a matter of fact, it was said that the tremors were so frequent that many people did not buy a house in the thriving metropolis of Philadelphia. They came in, they visited, and then they would leave every evening. I had an uncle that would not sleep underneath a ceiling fan that was going because he was afraid that the ceiling fan would fall on him in his sleep. It's very much similar to the people in Philadelphia. They were not going to sleep in Philadelphia because of the tremors and the threat of their structure falling in on them as they slept. It was uh, pretty treacherous. In AD 17, long before this book was written, uh, the, the, the city of Philadelphia was completely taken out. And it was rebuilt later on by the emperor Tiberius. And of course, it was uh, an unbelievable uh, sight to see as it was rebuilt. There were many temples in that place, but if they were to find their security in nature, nature did not offer it to them. The second place that they could have found uh, some some assurance and some security was not just in nature, but also in influence, in influence in their city, in a TikTok and Instagram generation that has slowly persuaded us that if we're not seen online, if we don't have good followers or the amount of followers, then we don't have influence. The church at Philadelphia is here to prove our culture wrong. Look at verse 8. Look at what Jesus says, and he says, well, I mean, you could find your security in that, but you're unable to. Jesus says, I know your works in verse 8. Behold, I have set before you an open door. We'll get back to this in a moment, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have little power. You see their influence in the city of Philadelphia? This church of Philadelphia had very little influence in the political makings of their city, had very little influence on their city as a whole, right? They have little power, but you've kept my word and have not denied my name. Again, we'll get back to that part. But understand this, the cultural reality for the church of Philadelphia was of little influence. It was a small church that didn't do much to make their city all that much better. Like I often wonder if the church... Just If the Grove Church shut down, would Richmond, Texas ever notice? In Philadelphia, if the church at Philadelphia shut down, the the city wouldn't have noticed. Of little influence and of little power. And Jesus says, but I see you. And so where are we finding our significance? Where are we finding um, the thing that should buoy our souls, right? That's the second thing that they could have looked to to find security and significance and self-worth. But the third thing. And the fourth thing, really tie together well, and that is relationships. If you read on, uh, which we will in just a moment, you'll see, uh, I'll just go there, right? Um, uh, Right here in verse 9, Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan, who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. And he goes on to tell them what he's going to make that synagogue do. Understand this, the synagogue was like the local church, except there's no other options. There's no Baptist option or Presbyterian option or Methodist option or non denominational option or Acts 29 option or Ark Church or whatever your favorite thing is. There's no other option. Put yourself in this position and you find the Grove Church would be your only option for relationships, for networking for significance in some ways, to exercise your spiritual leadership that God may have given you, this is it. There's no other place to go. And Jesus sees that synagogue, that little local gathering of people, and he says, they're a synagogue of Satan. I know they've been pushing you out. I want you to think about that in this church. If you have no other option and the leadership is corrupt and therefore instruments of Satan, where would you go? what would you do? You know that your spiritual vitality revolves around a local community of faith where they're teaching God's Word hopefully faithfully, and that all of a sudden gets taken from you. The synagogue was everything to the early Christians and to the early Jews. But Jesus warned that his disciples would be pushed out of the synagogue, if you remember. John 9, there was the man that was born blind, and then Jesus healed him. And he kind of disappears into the crowd, and then the Pharisees the scribes, the people that are ruling that little synagogue, start asking around like, hey, who healed that man? How did that man get healed? And remember, they bring his parents in, and his parents, like the guy that was healed, they won't even answer. Instead, they say this, right, in in, uh, 21. They say, don't ask us, ask him. And then there's a little parenthetical statement in John John 9, 22. It says, his parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed. Listen now, this is the culture of first century Christianity. The Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the local synagogue. You were pushed out of local commerce, out of local faithful uh, familial relationships. Your family would deny you. You would lose everything if you attached yourself to jesus and so the rulers of the time were pushing the people out but like philadelphia we can be faced with a similar tension it may not be in this local church but we live um, will we live and this is the question as christians live and here's how christians live distinctly set apart for the truth in a pluralistic, postmodern, relative world, or will we acquiesce to the culture's demands that we attend their events, that we keep our heads down, that we keep our mouths shut, and we keep Jesus to ourselves? You see, that is the tension you're in. That is the expectation at happy hour and in staff meeting and in any other place that you could be, especially teachers and counselors. Just keep Jesus to yourself, don't push him on anyone else, and all will be well. And I would say, I'm not here to push, but I am here to tell. That's the call of every believer. But our relationships can be a place where we can find great security, but it also can be a place, at least for those that are faithful to Jesus, where we will, we will fall away from those That ultimately don't love jesus the fourth way that there can be tension and a a false assurance here of where our significance is is an outward appearance again in the synagogue in philadelphia they represented satan himself jesus is saying they look good on the outside they may have the power and the respect of the people but inwardly they represent the father of lies which is the devil It's the same thing that Paul said in Romans 2, which should come up on the screen. He says, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly. He's he's redefining the chosen God's people in this passage. No longer a Jew that's outwardly uh, a, a Jew. One, that is, he says, nor is circumcision outward and physical. That's not the thing that matters. But a Jew, one who is approved by God, is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. And here's the key. He goes on to say, His praise, her praise, the one who is circumcised in the heart, by the Spirit, not outwardly by the hands. His praise, her praise, is not from man, but from God. And so you see all of this coming together to say, It doesn't matter that you show up culturally to a local synagogue. What matters is inwardly what's happened in your heart. Where are you finding your significance? Are we finding our significance from man all throughout the Scriptures? Will we fear man's approval or rejection? Will we worship the approval of those that love us or that we love and respect? Or will we worship and find our praise from God. So as we end this first part, right, where are you finding your self-worth, significance, and security? Is it in nature? Are you hoping to find that place that will one day give you peace? Come to Jesus, the person of Jesus, who offers you rest. Is it an influence? Is your self-worth based on how many likes you get? And that sounds silly, but I know there are people in this church that base their self-worth on whether or not certain people follow them like things post back on them socially or publicly that's in our hearts and if it's not us as adults it's certainly us as teenagers and so if we don't say it's a thing that we deal with then certainly we need to shepherd those that we're in charge of parenting is it in our relationships are we foolishly trying to get other people to meet our needs or are we looking to jesus for our ultimate hope Is it in our appearances, our outward appearances? If you spent as much time on your spiritual life as you did on your diet or on your physical health or on your social life or what you look like in the mirror, what kind of person would you be? These are all the things that are being bombarded at us as we look at the church of Philadelphia. But these are the temptations. There is a sure and steady anchor for our souls that Jesus offers for us And instead, it is him, it is he himself. Jesus is our treasure of security. So there's this great temptation to find security and significance and self-worth and all these different things, and Philadelphia has not taken the bait. I pray the Grove would not take the bait. But instead... In looking to their Savior, that's what he says over and over again. Behold, just look. This is the only command in this passage. Behold, look to Jesus. Behold, look to Jesus again and again. And as we do that, if we will look and behold at Jesus, we will see a treasure, a treasure trove for our security and self-worth and significance. So let's look at what the Scriptures say. First and foremost, Jesus gives us access In a world where you're getting pushed out of the synagogue, you're getting pushed out of the local church, you're getting pushed out of commerce and of social influence and familial relationships. I don't know what your families are like. In that world, Jesus says, I've opened the door for you to the kingdom of God. You may be pushed out of all sorts of relationships that you'd hope would work out. But Jesus says in verse 7 and 8, I hold the key to this whole thing. And I have the door open to the kingdom of heaven. Look at what he says in verse 7 and 8. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write the words of the Holy One, the true one. Look at who Jesus is. He's holy. He's true. He's set apart. He's faithful. Who has the key of David and who opens and no one will shut. Who shuts and no one will open. This is an allusion back to the prophet Isaiah chapter 22, which will come up. And look, just read this. God is removing one leader and putting another leader in place historically in the kingdom of Israel. And this is what the Bible says, in that day I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and I will clothe him with your robe. See the power. See the authority. Because if he's going to give you access, he better have power to be able to do it and authority to be able to protect you along the way. And I will bind your sash on him. See the approval of a sash. And I will commit your authority to his hand. And he shall be a father. Oh, look at how he relates to us, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. And now look. And I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. He shall open and none shall shut. He shall shut and none shall open. I don't know what your life was like before Jesus or maybe your life is like with Jesus. But I went to places where there were bouncers back in the day. And if you like, weren't dressed appropriately or name wasn't on a list, you weren't getting into that place, Jesus is your bouncer. And some of y'all are like, really, dude? This is the best I got today, all right? Jesus is your bouncer, and he opens the door of, of unbelievable riches and, and beauty in the kingdom of God. He has the key of David, and he holds it open for you. Who cares about a synagogue if I hold the key to the kingdom of all salvation and every rich blessing that God has for his people? He holds that open for you and invites you in. What does it matter if someone rejects you? What does it matter if someone doesn't give you the respect that you say you deserve? God holds the key to the kingdom and welcomes you in. The one who has the sash and authority and will be a father to you. That's the first place where we're going to find our security. The second place is that God will vindicate his people. We keep reading. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan and who say that they are the Jews but are not, but lie, they're liars. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet and they will learn that I have loved you. The enemies of God are hopefully your enemies Therefore, we should have some enemies in this world, and yet God calls us to love those enemies. And as we do, God makes this promise. They will come before you, and they will bow as defeated foes and honor you, and they will learn what Jesus' love looks like in you. The model of Jesus' love is how he loves you. Not how you love others. It's how he loves loves you and other people will gather around at the end of time and look at how he has loved you oh weary sinner oh wanderer oh you who cannot get past that one thing That 20 years into your relationship with Jesus, it's still got a hold on you. Whether it be a phone or food or pornography or whatever it may be, it may still have a hold on you. And yet somewhere in all of that great struggle for all of life, at the end of time, God is going to put you before his enemies and teach them what kind of love with which he loves sinners you soaked that in lately? The kind of love with which he loves you? The king of the universe holds open the doors to the kingdom and says, you're welcome at my table. I know what you've done. I know your works. But you come. You find rest here. You come near to me. I'll teach you. I'll teach you. And he'll also teach you the nations. He also will give us safety if we'll have it, right? Verse 10, he goes on, right? He says because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. Now, if you're a Bible nerd, you this is going to be your favorite part of the whole day. Not the bouncer part, you didn't like that part, but this part you're going to really love. Okay? I'm putting myself in the Bible nerd part, all right? At the men's retreat, I asked um, the men, like the last night we were there, I just kind of um, haphazardly, or maybe sovereignly, I don't really know which one, uh, I just said, all right, hey, um, all right, you carry a gun around your car, right, guys? That's probably what you do. Does God approve of your CHL? I just want to know. And ready, go and then like two hours later, they're still kicking around and having really good arguments with one another about, well, I carry a gun for this, and I carry a gun for that, and no, I, don't, I don't carry a gun for this. I'm going to tell you what, you might be afraid of some things if you do, and blah, 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 blah. I mean, beautiful, layered, unbelievable conversation. On, you can't do it on the first night because you don't know each other, but on the last night, you can have that conversation on whether or not God approves of you still carrying a sword around like Peter. Now, why is that a good conversation to have? Because it's a conversation about where you find your security. And in what or whom are you putting your trust? And for right here, Jesus is inviting us. He says, there will be a great trial on the whole earth. Right? And I'm going to keep you from that trial. Now, again, Bible nerds, here we go. If you're a pre-trib person, and if you don't know what that is, that's fine. Google it. Can't explain it right now, but if you're a pre-trib person, you're seeing this right now and going, ooh, God's going to rapture us out of here, right, on the seven-year tribulation, and he's going to save us from the great trial that is on the earth. That's one way to say it, and that's one way to put it. But if you're a post-trib person, which by the way, if you want to know where I am, the answer is, I don't know. There's a whole lot in there. It's the future, so let's hold those things loosely and with humility and not with a tight-gripped fist. But if you're post-trib, then you go, okay, maybe this isn't the trial of like the seven-year tribulation. Maybe this is God's wrath for sinners that's coming on the whole earth that God will save us from eventually. And today, that's where I land because you start to read that either way and no matter where you are, God is holding us fast. John 10 tells us, I give them eternal life. They will never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. That's how powerful God is. And Jesus, when he prays for us in John 17, 15, he says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. There are going to be trials. There are going to be suffering. There are going to be difficulties. But that you keep them from Satan. Keep them from their ultimate enemy. Preserve them. Either way, if you're weary, if you're tired, if you're frustrated, hope is on the way. Hold fast to Jesus. He's holding fast to you. There's also this idea that we um, have a treasure of significance and security in Jesus in verse 12b with with strength and significance. This is where I'm going to pick up the pace. Don't worry, y'all. In a land riddled with this insecurity that comes with earthquakes, Jesus promises that he will make them a pillar. Let's keep reading. I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Now, in a place where there's a lot of earthquakes, and you still have structures, what do you think those pillars looked like? Huge. Take take a look at this picture right here. This is an actual couple of temples in the place of Philadelphia. A little bit bigger than what you would see in Athens, right? Or in uh, some sort of uh, other Greek city. Like these pillars are ginormous. They are a place where you could walk in and the roof is over your head and you go, we're good. It brings security and it brings safety to you. And Jesus is saying to those who will hold fast to me to the end, I will make you a place of security and a remembrance of safety for all those that will look on. And you'll go, well, what do you mean all those that are looking on? And it goes into this next one that he gives us a new identity. If we kept reading in that passage, I will make them a pillar in the temple of God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of, my, of the city and of my God and the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. five times does God declare to you that you're his. Jesus' promise to write the Father's name, the name of his city, which is the New Jerusalem, and Jesus' new name on that pillar makes me think of Toy Story, right? Remember Woody? How did we know that? Woody, who Woody belonged to? On his foot, he had his name written on him, and it signified more than just ownership, but beautiful relationship, and in Philadelphia, it was later known as Little Athens because it had so many temples and also those, as those many temples had uh, many customs, one of the customs was that when the priest would retire, when the local politician would retire, they would set up a pillar in that temple and they would write the name of the priest on that pillar so that all who would come in and worship would remember the long standing service of that priest or that politician. And Jesus is saying, he's picking up on these customs and saying, I will make you remembrance of, of faithfulness to me. You will be an encouragement in the eternal temple of God for all time, that all people will come in and honor you because you have honored Jesus. Well, where do we go from here? And this is where we'll end, and it is this. We have a responsibility in this. I think as we teach through gospel-centered sermons week in and week out, we can start to kind of go, okay, God's grace covers everything. He's going to forgive us. And that's all true. But if we're not careful, we'll start to kind of take for granted God's forgiveness and presume upon the grace that he, we know he'll give us for that next sin. But we have responsibility in relationship. Like, you don't treat your marriage that way. Well, she'll forgive me. Well, he'll forgive me for this. And so we have relationship with Jesus in the same way that we have a relationship with a spouse or with... Um, a father or a mother or even a son or a daughter and in that relationship god is calling us be faithful in our works keep jesus at his word right in verses 8 and 10 he says you have kept my word they have kept it they have treasured it i don't know about you but i'm really struggling with the scripture memory for lent and i got two more weeks and i drove to new mexico and back And I had all the time in the world to just sit there and memorize over spring break. And I got through two verses, and that was fun for the first 13 hours. I just struggled through it. I don't know where you are, but it's a part of me trying to pick up the discipline of keeping and treasuring God's Word in my heart. Because you know what? The Bible says that someone is trying to steal my crown. Isn't that what it says? Verse 11, so that no one may seize your crown. God has already given it to me, and the enemy wants to take it. And if I don't hold fast to Jesus, I'm liable to just start whispering nonsense to myself about God's word, that it doesn't apply to me anymore, that it's really hard, or that surely that's not what it really says. But if I saturate myself in the scriptures, I realize... It is hard, but our God is the God of life and gives me the power of resurrection in my soul, and so therefore I can obey. That it is really inconvenient, that it caused me to love people I wasn't really ready to love like my enemies and align myself in loyalty to Jesus, even in the midst of really difficult, tension-filled situations where I'm, I'm tempted to just deny his name. But not the church at Philadelphia. They didn't deny his name. They held fast. They persevered until the end. So friends, let me leave you with this. Do not be satisfied with where you are in your spiritual walk. Someone's trying to take what God has already given you. If you read the New Testament, you start to see these pictures of what a Christian looks like. It's a farmer toiling the soil. It's an athlete competing for a crown. It's a soldier At war, will we be these people? Will we hold fast to Jesus even in the midst of a culture that maybe they're not coming to seize it from us? They're just trying to convince us it doesn't matter. Jesus is calling us to the church of Philadelphia to remember it matters. For all of eternity, he holds the key and he holds the door open for all who will see it as the only thing that matters the only place where we can find significance and self-worth and security. That's why the church at Philadelphia is secure. Because they follow Jesus. They saw what he had to say as it meaning what it really means, come what may. I pray we do the same. Let's pray. Oh Jesus, by your spirit, would you help us understand how it is In this place, in Richmond, in 2023, much less in Philadelphia, back in the late 90s of the first century, would you help us see where we are being tempted right now to seek really good things? Relationships are good. Nature is good. Acceptance with people, not bad, but they're not ultimate. Our achievements this week will matter not if they are done to get the approval of others, the acceptance that we so need is instead found in you. It's not by our own approval, it's not by our own achievements, but on the achievements of your son Jesus on the cross who died for sinners, brought them to a table to forever lavish your gifts on us. That's a crazy thing to think about. So would you help us remember that you've come for sinners, that you've invited us through the open door, where you hold the key and the power and the approval and the significance if we would only come to you. May we free ourselves from the tyranny of achievement and approval and instead find our truest hope in you. As we do so, maybe we just need to ask some questions as we sing. Lord, if we're significant to you, the king of the universe, how does it change how we enter into our work this week? How does it change how we relate with our spouse? How does it affect how we parent our children or relate with our parents? And on and on the list goes. Help us, Spirit, discern the truth and follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.